0: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. We've twelve waiver wire pickup power rankings the injury report running back snaps and a preview of monday night football from a betting and DraftKings showdown perspective sal vetri will be joining me here in just a moment but i do want to let you know we got some winners of the 20 dk bucks and ways that you can get into the draw for 20 dk dollars on the show two ways to do so this week smash the like button for the episode the harder you hit smash the better chance you have of winning the 20 dk dollars not really but you might need to use that 20 dk dollars withdrawing it to buy a new screen if you do smash it too hard either way hit the like button leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section not the live chat the comment section and tell me your favorite pickup defense for weeks 14 15 and 16 if you're Planning on making the playoffs in your season-long league? This is stuff you need to start looking for right now. I've started to scout out ahead just a little bit, and I'll be discussing this with Jake Seeley on Tuesday's live show, 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Uh, we'll be taking all your questions as it pertains to trade deadline stuff as well, so we'll re-op on the waiver wire in case new news breaks. We're going to go over the rankings for the weekend, then we're going to dedicate a portion of the show to answering your trade questions. So if you got them... Bring them tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel, so get those in. Set yourself a reminder right now, all right? Um, The other ways to do so, to get into the draw for 20 DK bucks, you got to subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, download those episodes that appear up there, then leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show, and you too will be in that draw for 20 DK bucks. If you're looking for the list of running back snaps or the rankings of the pickups and full injury report, you can find that up on DKPlaybook.com or merely hit the description or comment section of this video and podcast and you can find the links directly to get those things right now. The Pat Mayo Experience listeners' league will be posted once I receive the link. I do not have it yet, and I'll add that to the description of all the videos and all the podcasts once they go up. I think that's the uh, the housekeeping we need to do. Besides saying off the winners here, let me pull up the uh, the winners for week eleven of twenty DK dollars. We're looking at Damn Yankee, Dell's Squad One, Waldo Two Zero One Six, C Marsh One One Two Three, B Patterson Forty, JSL. Nice, quick, easy, to the point. I like that. Joshua C5 and Day Call Meskin are all the winners of $20 DK dollars. I've sent in the winners. Hopefully, you are credited by the end of the day, maybe into tomorrow. Either way, it all works out. Salvetri from the Salvetri YouTube channel and myriad other places on the line right now. What is going on, my man?
1: What's up, Pat? How was your weekend? How'd you do this weekend?
0: Uh, I've had a much better weekend in DraftKings golf and betting golf, although the bets for football weren't all so bad. DraftKings, not great. Uh, It turns out that this was the week that, you know all those people, they're like, fade the chalk, fade the chalk, fade the chalk. I mean, a lot of times people are chalky for a reason, at high ownership for a reason on DraftKings, but like two or three times a year, it goes completely the other way. So it doesn't work out every week, but if you are one of these contrarian players... Week 11 was your week.
1: Yeah, week 11 was your week. Brian Hill at the, at the top of that ended up personally with no Brian Hill, but it doesn't help when all of the pivots to Brian Hill like Miles Sanders and whoever else you might have gotten to do absolutely nothing. So, yeah, I was feeling real good going into the 4 o'clock games uh, with Miles Sanders at to play, no Brian Hill, and then seeing Miles Sanders touch the ball four times in the second half was pretty tilting as a, a chalky Debo Samuel started to uh, go off around 5.30 p.m. yesterday.
0: Yeah, I also didn't end up with Brian Hill. That was one of the big things that we spelled out on the DraftKings show last week with Vlad. And on the Friday re-up was like, what do we really know about Brian Hill? And I think the key point was, let's say Devonta Freeman had been active for this game. And Brian Hill was what, $4,800? I think that's what he was? Yep. Yeah, so if Devonta Freeman was like $5,500 on this slate, would you have been lining up at a 30% clip to play Devonta Freeman? And the answer was no, he wasn't. So why would you love Brian Hill?
1: Yeah, the answer was overwhelmingly no. And, and Devonta Freeman was like fifty, one hundred, five thousand dollars $5,000 the previous weeks before. And yeah, exactly. If that guy's name was Devonta Freeman, nobody would bat an eye. It's just that people thought it was a shiny new toy, but it was already priced up as a six-point road under, uh, underdog. And honestly, he got the best possible spot to be in getting up early, and he just ended up uh, diving right into the offensive line for one yard uh, or two yards every single carry. So yeah, that chalk fell apart, but that seemed like almost all the chalk did. So it was a really uh, big contrarian week. I think a lot of casuals did well.
0: Well, it also works out too. Like you could still have sustained a lot of success, even having Brian Hill on his 4.8 DraftKings points into your lineup uh, because so many people ended up with him. And like you mentioned, the pivots off of him, it was just a completely, it's not that you needed to pivot off of him onto someone else in his range who was better because realistically, like Carlos Hyde was the only one who really came through, I suppose, that people were going to. The move was just, you have to build your teams differently. You pay up for two. It was a week to have a wide receiver in the flex, put it that way.
1: Yeah, wide receiver in the flex, and yeah, you, you hit on it perfectly. There was just nothing in that 4K range that really stood out. A Carlos Hyde garbage time touchdown. The Millie Maker, um, let me have it, I have it here. The Millie Maker lineup had an 8.9 fantasy point day out of Devin Singletary being in the winning lineup. So that just tells you that you really didn't need a, a ton of running backs. Not a lot went off.
0: Yeah, what was uh, his ownership in the Millie Maker, Devin Singletary?
1: His ownership was 12.3. I saw across the industry, it was like 10% owned for the week, which I thought was surprising, but yeah, 12.3%.
0: Yeah, it came in low. I think a lot of people got off of him as the week went along because they started talking themselves into the proper narrative that Bill's running backs just aren't good at fantasy. They might be, they want to run the ball a lot, but once they get in close, it could be Frank Gore who takes these or exactly what happened again yesterday Josh Allen just rushes it himself like Josh Allen and John Brown uh and I guess when we get to the Pat Mayo experience winner of the week uh Dawson Knox was another guy that you could have played on the bills but the running backs unless they're priced significantly down I think Singletary will be a good play to end up going to eventually because if he's gonna score it's gonna be from deep and he's gonna have a really big day but a chalky Devin Singletary is never really a good thing as it turns out
1: yeah, I agree. And, and last week, the price point up to 6K, and you still had Frank Gore layering around. And then also, I think Tevin Coleman was 6,100 last week, so I probably pulled some ownership off of it. But yeah, the price point for what the usage was for him was, was just not there.
0: Yeah, just even looking at it right now, like if you're going to pay up, that was the move at running back. Uh, if you actually wanted to generate some points whatsoever, or I guess you could have paid down for like Kalen Balage because he did score a touchdown had a few catches ended up with like 13 points at $4,000 so that didn't turn out to be all that bad despite the fact that he had like the worst game of all time uh sometimes fantasy and reality they separate a little bit but the highest scoring running backs on the slate were McCaffrey by 10 points over that awful Mark Ingram who of course couldn't do anything on the ground because he's terrible so they just threw him a pass with no one around him twice and he ends up getting into the end zone he almost fumbled one without anyone hitting him two classic Mark Ingram stuff but he was two Kamara was number three and Elliott was number four on the main slate on DraftKings, like you had to spend uh, if you're going to go up and then like i here's the lineup in the uh pat mayo experience open so the winner of the five thousand dollars last week was cwm125 congratulations to him uh, or her i have no idea josh allen was the quarterback Kalen ballage and brian hill were the two running backs so just punt running back was essentially the play and then pay up for john brown Devonte parker michael thomas and dj chark those were the three receivers in the flex 49ers d dawson knox a 1.1 percent dawson knox at tight end and boom you win yourself five thousand bucks
1: yeah well pat I-, I pulled up the exact same Lineup that guy's lineup in the millimaker, he won 500 bucks in the millimaker. Still nice, but just goes to show you uh, how much lineup construct or not even lineup construction game selection really matters, context selection. So, yeah, it was an interesting week where. A lot of the quarterbacks did well. There was like eight quarterbacks to go for more than 25 points. A handful went for over 30. So it just came down to building your lineups differently, not relying on the 4K running back range where it all pretty much fell apart. So I I think you really hit on a key thing here, the tournament selection process, because I had a really nice week in golf.
0: Uh, I know maybe football viewers don't know anything about golf, but I played one lineup in the $100 where there was, I think, 247 players and I play 20 lineups in the $8 where there's like 70,000 people in it so this the, my best lineup I actually put in the $100 actually my second best lineup it won $40 in the $8 and it won $700 in the $100 uh, because it ended up coming like 13th but it just goes to show you sometimes even if you're you know playing 20 lineups into the $3 and spending the $60 like the best tournament that I had on DraftKings I put one lineup into the $40 uh, where it's the min cash uh, where if if you just min cash you get double your money and like that tournament's actually structured really well that's one that people i think should be looking at every single week
1: yeah exactly like it, it, that's the biggest thing if if you play in these bigger fields like the millimaker your upside is winning a million dollars but pretty much if you're not finishing in like the top three you could find a better contest selection and just your payout structure better everywhere else that's actually pretty crazy that this guy finished outside the top 85 and 10x in uh in the Pat Mayo open compared to the Millie Maker, which I mean, it makes sense, but just seeing it in front of us is, is pretty wild.
0: Yeah. When you're playing against 3000 people and it's a no rate contest and you can have a, it's a three max entry versus playing against 150,000 people. You don't need to be, be as sharp. That's kind of the whole thing. If you want to invest a little bit more and that really depends on what your bankroll is, you're just better off playing slightly higher stakes and smaller tournaments to actually get
1: return on your money. Yeah, exactly. I think just contest size with the smaller uh, fields is like the biggest thing. Usually you have to pay a lot more for it. But if you're in sort of these things, whether it's the whether it's PGA or NFL, if you wait like an hour before lock, a lot of smaller fields will open up where there is a couple thousand dollars to first and you only have to pay five to ten dollars to get in. They're usually not there early in the week, but that's just sort of a tip like an hour before lock. A lot of those more beneficial contests will open up
0: uh let's talk about some of the running back snap shares from the week uh there was only one two three four five ten running backs who played more than 70 percent of their team's snap shares on sunday or just in week 11 not necessarily on sunday because nick chubb is on this list so christian mccaffrey led the way with 93 percent of the snaps that was the most i misspelled elliot in this tweet but zeke was at 89 percent. Kenyon drake 88 percent over david johnson with arizona going on to bye week uh, Miles Sanders, eighty-five percent. Delvin Cook, eighty-one percent. Despite watching that game and feeling like Delvin Cook was never on the field, I and mean, apparently he played eighty-one percent of the snaps, it was just an odd game from him. Kalen balaj seventy-seven percent. Todd Gurley, seventy-five percent. Uh, Devin Singletary, 74%. Nick Chubb, 72% of the snaps. Leonard Fournette is mixed in there as well, wherever the hell he ended up going. 71% of the snaps for Leonard Fournette uh, on the week. Does anything really stand out to you? Are you shocked at that Drake, 88% over DJ, who played 13%? And coming on to bye week with Chase Edmonds potentially returning, coming off the bye, where do you think this backfield shakes down?
1: Yeah, so a little bit shocked, but once we got like right before the lock that he was going to get the lion share of the touches, still shocked that you see no touches at all for David Johnson. So yeah, 88%. If I saw 70, I'd say, okay, maybe I'm not surprised, but 88% is a huge number um, just for a a, a backfield touch share. So uh, I think that's surprising. You didn't see any touches for David Johnson. With the bye week coming, we'll get more news on David Johnson, whether he just doesn't want to play or there's actually some sort of injury there. And yeah, with Edmonds coming back, it just makes it a messy situation. But I think Kenyon Drake's the guy who stands above all. They've already given him, it seems, the job over David Johnson. So I don't see why they're not going to give him the job over Chase Edmonds, who had a fine game when he was healthy, but now dealing with injuries. And Kenyon Drake is looking. Pretty solid in a couple of weeks now with uh, the Cardinals. So, yeah, I think Kenyon Drake is the guy that I would definitely want to have here. And I think there is some upside for him to to see a 15-plus touch game moving forward, even if Edmonds comes back. So if
0: they go on to bye week and David Johnson gets himself right and he becomes healthy again, what percent chance would you put at him reclaiming this job?
1: Uh, if, if he's, uh, that's the thing, like, I don't know if this guy is just not healthy or if he just doesn't care. Cause I mean, he didn't retweak any sort of injury after the last time we saw him, which looked like he was walking, uh, on some of these carries that he had in slight jogging. So if it comes out that he was injured and he is going to be hundred percent healthy, I mean, regaining the job as a 80% carry type of guy, I'd say it's like a 25% chance, 20% chance at this point, it doesn't seem like there's anything, any upside in me really even wanting to start let alone own him at this point, but you probably just don't have better options on your waiver wire and nobody wants to trade for him. So you're stuck with him.
0: Yeah. And that's a problem because I think he scored 148 fantasy points before uh, that giants game. And he scored two since
1: yeah not good not good at all
0: no and you can have them in your fantasy league and i'll talk about this with Seely tomorrow again two fifteen p.m eastern time tuesday on the DraftKings youtube channel we'll have our trade deadline special so if you got trade questions you should probably get in the live chat on tuesday so Seely and i can go back and forth and try to answer those for you but like would you even try to trade for him because i don't know if i would want that on my team despite the fact that you can probably get him for nothing this is usually the best time to buy anyone but i legit have no idea what's going to happen
1: yeah, I have no idea what's gonna happen. And I'll always try and make a trade, but like what's the trade here? Like Devontae Parker for David Johnson. I, I can't see a David Johnson owner even one wanting to do that at this point. So it just seems like maybe if somebody dumps him, obviously pick him up at that point if you have room. But it seems like not the spot. There's always upside if there is an injury and like two weeks removed, something can completely change. We were calling out Damian Williams for having no shot and then he has a fantastic week and maybe some upside moving forward. So there's always kind of the unpredictability of it like you said so I'll try and trade for this sort of a guy but yeah like Devonte Parker is a type of trade piece and it just doesn't seem like you're going to get to um, an understanding and a deal with somebody in your league on that
0: uh, I have some questions about a week 11 for you ready yeah are you worried about the Patriots offense or was the Eagles defense coming off of a bye week almost like Atlanta was a few weeks ago not necessarily like great now but fixed itself a little bit
1: yeah, I think I'm a little bit worried about this offense. Uh, I mean, you see Julian Edelman what throwing like the only touchdown of the game uh, for the Patriots, and this was actually a you you touched on the Eagles' defense getting better since they got Jalen Mills back about three or four weeks ago. The secondary has improved. Maddox has gotten healthier. Ronald Darby got healthier, so the secondary is very much improved. And you saw that last night. And I think the only reason they win the game is because there's just nobody on the Eagles' offense out of pass catchers to just move the ball. And when they were, they were dropping the ball like Aguilar a couple times late in that game. So. I'm a little bit worried about this offense. Maybe though, maybe tomorrow they say that uh, there's a big announcement from Rob Gronkowski. They might get their uh, blocking tight end back this year. So that might help. Um, but no, um, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about this offense. They have a lot of moving pieces. We'll see what happens with Dorsett. Nikhil Harry came back last week, was somewhat active as like the wide receiver for one Dorsett went down. So maybe there's some upside there, but, Yeah, it just seems like there's not a ton of playmakers. They're dealing with some injuries. And again, the three or four headed backfield that they're running out there, it seems like if anything is hurting their upside in some of these situations.
0: Yeah, it just strikes me as there's almost no one besides Julian Edelman at the moment that you can feel good about plugging into your lineup.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think all season long, we've kind of been saying this on this show, even too, that they're just getting ahead and they're relying on scoring from their defense. And exactly in this game, once again, they relied heavily on that secondary and a little bit of the pass rush. And I think this was the team. I remember earlier in the year on this show, we were talking about how can you beat the Patriots? And we've seen one team in the Ravens do that. You have to have a good quarterback and a pass rush. And that's what they got last night in Carson Wentz. He just had no weapons to throw to. So it seems like a pretty stable um recipe to beat them uh they, they just had jjr sega white side and, and matt collins out there so it's pretty easy to shut them down if you're the patriots secondary
0: Uh, the Denver backfield before the Vikings game they came out Vic Fangio came out and said that Philip Lindsay would see the bulk of the carries and we look at actual snap distribution that's exactly how it played out Lindsay played 64 percent of the snaps Royce Freeman played 30 percent of the snaps Devontae Booker played 16 percent of the snaps do you think this is a major adjustment that can sustain itself moving forward for the rest of the year because if so it does seem like Philip Lindsay could be a league winner for you and maybe now like with the trade deadline coming. Up, maybe he is someone to target. That if you looked at like rest of the season rankings or just the overall sentiment on Philip Lindsay, I would gauge it's pretty indifferent. Like if we had to re rank everyone, he'd probably just come out like running back number twenty. But if he's going to play sixty five percent of the snaps and that can be consistent week after week after week. Uh, I know that this week against Buffalo is not a fantastic matchup, but you can gash the bills up the middle. If they decide to go that route that Lindsay could be a nice trade target. Or do you think this could just flip back next week with the whim of a hat?
1: So I definitely think it could flip back. We've seen this a couple of times, but we've never had the head coach come out behind them and say, this is the way we want it to happen. It just kind of happened based on game flow. You've seen Freeman play 60% of the snaps, I believe two weeks this season. But yeah, I think that the upside, at least with the information we have right now, is that there's a better situation for Philip Lindsay. And I think a lot of people in just season long leagues might not react to that quick enough. So go ahead and try and get him because Again, two weeks from now, this might not matter. But right now, the the edge is in getting him because he's probably going to be undervalued based on what his role seems like it's going to be. This past weekend, he had 18 total touches. That was double the amount that Royce Freeman had. You talked on it. He had double the amount of snaps as well. So it kind of correlates there. Yeah, I like going out and getting Philip Lindsay. Uh, Just peeking ahead to DraftKings, he's his six weeks. This is his lowest price in six weeks over there. So it seems like a nice spot overall uh, upcoming. Again, the Bills, you can run on them. Um but just moving forward overall, I think it's a spot where you get a guy for probably cheaper than um, he's actually or being undervalued a lot more in leagues and you can get him for cheaper than he deserves to be
0: and realistically, they only have one tough matchup to close the season until we 17 we're not even including week 17 here and that's against the Raiders who have a pretty stout run defense but the Texans week 14 is really the last true tough test we saw I guess that's Lamar Jackson and that's a bit of a different running game but you go Bills Chargers Texans Chiefs Lions to end the year the one issue is if Brandon Allen continues to play quarterback and they don't switch over to Drew Locke once he's healthy at some point is Brandon Allen seems very unwilling to check down two targets for philip Lindsay, one target for royce freeman like that's not going to cut it uh, in a full point ppr and even in a standard solely because this is a team that's going to be playing from behind or playing close games yes the carries will be there they do want to run the ball but that just hurts your overall touch upside in general and the upside of scoring fantasy points so i would like to see that number go up i just don't know if it will
1: yeah i'd like to see it go up as well i think the other note that uh, spinning it a little bit to make it a little more positive is Um, that you can say that Brandon Allen's actually keeping these drives alive better than Flacco has, and also getting Tim Patrick back last week on the outside. He looked productive, saw eight targets, four catches, 77 yards. They've really needed a wide receiver, too, since Sanders went out. So if you're just seeing this as they can keep drives alive, get closer to the red zone, and just more overall touches per drive for Lindsey, maybe not in the receiving department, but if you're getting more carries overall, it can kind of balance itself out there. Again, this can all go to crap if Brandon Allen just starts to become much worse. He's been sustainable at best so far.
0: Uh, with the emergence and return of Kareem Hunt, it hasn't actually taken any volume away from Nick Chubb for the moment. Chubb played 72% of the snaps Thursday night against the Steelers. Hunt played 55%. Now, if the Browns get down a bunch in a game, you might see more Hunt on the field. As he sort of morphed into the pass catching back, Dontrell Hilliard has just been thrown aside in the situation. Uh, and they are playing sets with both of them on the field at the same time. But is Nick Chubb? basically derrick henry now
1: yeah that's interesting that you say that because i was looking at that he's just had no passing volume with kareem hunt back there they're playing on the field at the same time and hunt's always going to be a priority at least through two weeks that's what it seems and i mean his his versatility and his skill set mat or match more of a passing game so i don't know if it's to the same extent of derrick henry i think henry can definitely catch the ball but uh, the way that they just want to run that offense is just only run the ball. I think that at least the the Browns want to throw the ball to the running back. It just seems that it's Kareem Hunt right now, but there'll definitely be opportunities when Hunt's not on the field, the other 50% of the time, and there's going to be opportunities for Chubb to catch the ball. So I think it's a level above um, Derek Henry but I think that's a really good point that yeah the, the passing volume that was supposed to be there all season long and really was underwhelming from what we were told in the preseason now it just seems like it's going to go all the way away but at least he's on the field a ton still and nothing's going into his goal line work although he's getting like 12 carries a game it seems from the one yard line and not getting in um, but yeah I think that there's a big hit here for his overall ceiling and this I mean at the beginning of the year this was one of at least my knocks on him Come the postseason for fantasy playoffs, you're going to have huntback. What does that look like for his workload? And it seems like it's going to just kill his passing game role. The Atlanta Falcons,
0: through eight weeks, had a 2.7% sack rate on defense. The past three weeks, since coming out of the bye, they have a 10.3% sack rate on defense is this a defense i mean when we get to the waiver wire pickups atlanta's gonna be very high on that list is this a defense that we should really be targeting at this point i know they have some tougher matchups they play the saints next week on thanksgiving then they go to like a mini buy once again but they get tampa this week that's a fantastic matchup should we be prioritizing atlanta right now knowing that their back end of the defense isn't so great but they can score a lot of points that will continue to generate a lot of passing attempts against
1: yeah, this is an interesting spot that I'm waiting on some of like the pro football focus data and things like that, DVOA, to, to look at what's really happening here. I, I, I'm still not sold on it, just from a whole season of not having it. But coming off the bye, maybe you would just realize that your coach is on the hot seat. That's what I thought the Saints game was, but then you see it yet again. Uh, but. If we factor in that Kyle Allen was the quarterback they're playing, holds onto the ball uh, in some of the bottom parts of the league, bottom third of the league in terms of how long he holds onto the ball. So that'll lead to more sacks. Also Atlanta had a punt return for a touchdown. So when you have a special teams or defensive score, you can just pressure more. So I haven't looked at the exact numbers. I, obviously there's been improvements since the bye week, but I want to see if they're just in these early positive game scripts. And then they're just pressuring the heck out of the quarterback uh, last week, Kyle Allen, and you know, you have upside there. So I think it's interesting right now. I'm not totally sold on it, but if something shows up in the data that, Uh, Just in general, some injuries, players getting back more pressure rates, or they're they're just running different packages and there's something to it. If it's just two game sample of weird game flows because of a punt return, things like that, then I'm not going to be totally sold on it. And that's where I lean right now. Weeks 14, 15, 16,
0: the Falcons get at home against the Panthers. So we saw what they could do one time around on the road at the 49ers and then at home against the Jags. It's not a terrible schedule for a fantasy defense.
1: Yeah, it's not at all, and I know Nick Foles, it was his first game back, and it was not a great spot to return in, but if that's your fantasy championship, at least what you've seen so far is that's a pretty dang good matchup against this Jacksonville offense.
0: Yeah, so I'm just kind of perusing through it right now. Week 16, I guess if the the Seahawks are still out there, I know they got banged up on Thursday night against the Browns, but regardless they get at Arizona they get at home against Buffalo and they get at the Jets in the fantasy playoffs that's a that's pretty good if you're going to look at it Kansas Kansas City as well gets let's see here at at home against Denver week 15 um, at Chicago in week 16 that could be an under the radar one because people just know the Chiefs defense isn't great but against those two teams they could be pretty good
1: yeah, I agree. And in, another note on the Steelers is uh, we've seen what Ryan Finley has done. He had like a 3.8 yards per attempt this past week, it just uh, one of the worst you'll see. But now they get Ryan Finley next week, and that's the Steelers defense. It, it's it's going to be one of the best spots for a defense overall. I'm not totally opposed to, I mean, if your trade deadline or you don't have one, just going out there and trying to throw in Steelers defense into some sort of package deal um, and throwing it in as sort of a nibble effect, the last second, last player in there. Uh, Because, yeah, they have a really good playoff schedule, but they also have the Bengals next week, which can be an easily a double-digit scoring week against that offensive line of Ryan Finley. Uh, Alexander Madison,
0: as a backup, he's been atop the handcuff rankings for most of the season with the Thinking being, if Dalvin Cook goes down, we've seen the role that Dalvin Cook plays. Madison has looked very good in limited opportunities backing him up. The problem is, when they got down in this game, we started to see a lot more Amir Abdullah on the field as they treat him as a much better pass catcher. Now, he did put the ball on the ground, and that might impact his snaps going forward. But just looking at it for the moment, uh, you have Cook at 81% from yesterday, Amir Abdullah 13%, Alexander Madison 6%. So if Dalvin Cook was to go down... I do think that he would get the majority of the work, but I don't know anymore if it would be like a 75%, 80%. This could be a split depending on the situation. I don't know if they consider him a three-down back. Would that worry you in the handcuff department?
1: Yeah, it would definitely worry me and be a little bit of a notch down, but it just depends on the matchup for them. So looking ahead in their schedule, if it was to happen anytime soon, they get on the road against the Seahawks, which I don't think would happen by Ben unless it happens in that game, but that's a difficult spot. He could get game flowed out, but then at home against the Lions, it doesn't seem like Stafford's going to play. I don't think they get down big in that one. So pretty much if they're going to be down in some of these games, yeah, Amir Abdullah is definitely coming on the field. And in the fantasy playoffs, you're going to have the Lions, you're going to have the chargers on the road and then the Packers at home for the Vikings. So it seems like a lot of neutral game scripts. So just looking at it from that situation, I don't think it worries me too much. I would project him to see like 70% of the snaps, 65% somewhere around there in most of those games if cook went down, but yeah, there's definitely not the same versatility as a three down back. Like you probably get at a guy like Wayne Gallman if Saquon was to continue to be banged up or go down. Last thing. What do you do with Cooper cup? Yeah, and I know Cooper Cup, once again, last night, very odd. Jared Goff, it wasn't even odd. They just ran 50 offensive plays. Jared Goff throws 18 times. So a lot of this is not Cup's fault. There's been two really just terrible games when Jared Goff goes on the road. And last night, they don't have to throw, play limited snaps, slow paced game. Um, You just have to hold on to him at this point. If you don't have a trade deadline, maybe try and ship him away. But it doesn't seem like Brandon Cooks is coming back anytime soon. So I think it's just... A couple of game flow situations and and then just the league adjusting to Cup in the slot a little bit, having more tape on him there now two years in. So I think you hold on to him if you can get a pretty good deal of it. But I wouldn't sell. I wouldn't be selling anywhere near low on Cooper Cup uh, in this offense. I think it's still completely fine. Robert Wood should be back from a person all issue. So, yeah, I hold on to Cooper Cup going into the playoffs unless you do get a beneficial deal. But don't try and sell
0: low on him. Uh, do we know what happened with Robert Woods? Because I still haven't seen anything come out besides the fact that it was a personal matter. They didn't release what that was. But I don't know if this is something that by the time next week rolls around, he's going to be back on the field or if this is something that can last uh, multiple weeks.
1: Yeah, so I I don't even want to speculate. I don't know. I tried okay. to look right before the show for about five minutes, but I didn't see anything on Twitter. It was just, yeah, everything that popped up was was personal issues. So I don't know if the, the team released a statement or anything on it.
0: All right, well, hopefully everything's good with Robert Woods. Uh, The problem now becomes, you have, as Davis calls him, the good Mike Thomas, but he had to change his name from Michael Thomas to Mike Thomas, so he wouldn't be confused with the actual good, best receiver in fantasy Michael Thomas, Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, and Cooper Cup. Like, Is this one of these scenarios where we've seen this from time to time, like the Randall Cobb situation. Once Jordy Nelson went away in Green Bay, it's like, oh, my God, Randall Cobb is going to get all the targets. This is fantastic news. And he was absolutely terrible. He was just made to be a slot guy uh, around the presence of better receivers. I don't want to take anything away from the ability of Cooper Cup. And obviously the offensive line play, Jared Goff's play, has been so horrendous that just getting him the ball has been it's been a hassle put it that way, but is he just worse without cooks and woods around now that the teams can actually focus on him?
1: Yeah, I think just naturally that happens. Like He's still a a more downfield, more than your traditional slot receiver. He'll go downfield more. He draws some of the best separation in the league, but yeah, you touched on it. When you have no Brandon Cooks and he's out for until whenever with this concussion, there's no timetable on it, it kind of takes away your clear-out option. Josh Reynolds is not the same type of guy, although he was making some pretty nice catches last night, maybe can have something there on the outside. And then, yeah, no Robert Woods. It just makes it really easy to key in on really two guys in this offense. Todd Gurley, harder to take away a running back unless you want to just um, stack the box on it which they didn't and then Cooper Cup which is a little bit easier to take away in the middle of the field and at least hold down to short passes so I think last night was just a little bit odd very rare you see a quarterback throw 18 times in a game especially one in this offense so it was just game flow differently they didn't have a lot of possessions overall and they ran the ball 32 times with their running back so I'll hold on to him but I do think that no cooks and if there is no woods moving forward for at least another week or two depending on what this issue is that definitely hurts cups upside hopefully by the fantasy playoffs one or both of those guys will be back Well, it might actually be a decent spot to buy
0: Cooper Cup. Looking ahead at their schedule, it's not going to be a situation where they're going to have the ability just to run the ball so many times. Like against the Ravens, and these aren't like super easy matchups either, and this is how you can kind of sell it in your league if you do want to obtain them. So you get at Bal- you get at home against Baltimore, at the Cardinals, at home against the Seahawks, at the Cowboys, at the 49ers to end the fantasy season. Now normally you'd say, well that's just not very good. And maybe it will turn out to be very, very important. Some of these are some of the best pass rush teams and best pass defenses uh, that you can actually face. The-, the schedule is just not great overall, but if people are just willing to give up on Cooper Cup and then you tell them the schedule, maybe you can pry him away for like 60 cents on the dollar right now just talking about how crappy jared goff is how crappy the schedule is he's put up to i mean last last night wasn't horrendous as it comes to fantasy but it's not what you expected from cooper cup uh, much better than the zero that he put up before the bye week but i'm just wondering what the actual market is for him right now because i think almost any player is a buy or a sell depending on where the price point is and I, i feel like he would be undervalued right now
1: Yeah, I think you can definitely get this guy for probably at least 80 cents on the dollar. So a pretty good trade for you. Yeah, I would go out and get him. Now, in the fantasy playoffs, there are some difficult matchups. He starts it off with Seattle, which is definitely a good matchup. So um, it could win you a week right there with Cooper Cup. Then he gets Dallas, who's been very good in the slot. Uh, depending on who they're rotating through there, whether it's Jordan Lewis or if they're going to get somebody back, uh, a couple of guys on injury for their cornerbacks. But Jordan Lewis has been very good in the slot and the 49ers in the championship. So some brutal spots in the playoffs, some good spots. It's just sort of a you bet on talent at that point. But yeah, you're not giving up some of your best plays to get cup right now. If anything, you're giving up some tier two wide receivers to get to a tier one guy because he's had a a rough two or three weeks this year.
0: Like if you had Michael Gallup right now, and you could offer some sort of package where you got Cooper Cup. Those were the two primaries. Because Gallup has been amazing. Uh, would you pull the trigger on that? Because I would rather have Cooper Cup and what his potential upside is, but I don't think there's any real denying that Michael Gallup has been better over the past month.
1: Yeah, Michael Gallup's been really good. I honestly probably rather keep Michael Gallup there only because I think he gets the Eagles. Um, he has a couple of nice matchups in, in the postseason. But it, it's also if it's like one on one straight up, I'll, I'll take Cooper Cup. It depends what the other pieces there. So yeah, if I'm somebody um, getting a deal and it's Michael Gallup and another nice piece for Cup right now, I probably I might actually take that deal. It, it just depends straight up. I wouldn't take it, though. I, I'd prefer Cup straight up.
0: There are six players at the moment inside, right at least with odds, lower than 20 to 1 to be the NFL MVP right now. Which six players are those?
1: So Russell Wilson,
0: that's number one. Oh well, he's number two. He is plus 160 to win MVP right now.
1: Lamar Jackson,
0: he is number one plus 150 to win MVP. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is fourth at 12 to 1.
1: Deshaun Watson.
0: Actually, he's tied with her run. They're both tied for third, 12 to one. So those are the
1: top four. There's two others. You said the, uh, two others. Um, Christian McCaffrey still.
0: No, Christian McCaffrey has fallen to 28 to one, despite the fact that he can put up 30 fantasy points without scoring a touchdown, which is kind of nice.
1: Yeah. Very nice to get the hundred yard bonus late in that game. Uh, let's go. Patrick Mahomes.
0: Patrick Mahomes is tied for fifth at 16 to one. There's one more guy.
1: Interesting. Um, is it name value? Tom Brady
0: is not name value. Tom Brady He is 40 to one. The answer is Dak Prescott at 16 okay. to one yeah. who continues to have one of the sneaky best seasons. No one has ever talked about.
1: Yeah. One of the sneaky best seasons. I mean, there's specific stats you could talk about, but he's been one of the more specific ones like DR. He's one of the leaders in a lot of these advanced stats and metrics that just pretty much show how efficient and effective that you are, especially in some of the the more clutch times of the game. So yeah, I was talking with this uh, with one of my Cowboy friends uh, last night. Actually, there was like a recent ranking of Dak or 25 or under quarterbacks age wise, 26 or under. And Dak Prescott didn't make like the top seven list for some reason on ESPN. Um, but yeah, Dak Prescott right now, in my opinion, probably having the, the best not talked about year at a quarterback so far.
0: Uh, do you think that Lamar will end up winning MVP? I know like the weird thing is the MVP is not necessarily a skills award. It's not necessarily a stats award. It's a narrative award. So your team needs to be good in order for you to win. Uh, And generally speaking, they like to veer off a little bit. Like, unless you have the Patrick Mahomes 50 touchdown season from a year ago, and the Chiefs were awesome, that also contributes to this, that he's going to win MVP. It was between him and Breeze last year, and very clearly it was going to be Patrick Mahomes, just based on the overall bulk of numbers that he had. Lamar is poised to be that guy again, but he's not going to have the passing numbers to stack up. That's obviously made for up on the ground, the fact that he's going to probably rush for... He could potentially, with a great December, get to double-digit touchdowns and over 1,200 yards rushing. would just be insane. There's a reason that he's the favorite right now. But let's say Baltimore stumbles a little bit. They lose, like, three games from here on out. Probably not going to happen. Let's say that's the case. Then you have Russell Wilson, who's... Seattle's good, but they're not going to win their division, likely. The Niners probably still win that. that. I think that there is room for Patrick Mahomes, if the Chiefs go on a run here to end the year at 16-1, to to potentially reclaim the spot despite having missed time.
1: Yeah, it's just so difficult because of how much he did miss. But yeah, if you're getting a long odds on him, I like Mahomes at the longer odds. I still like Aaron Rodgers because it seems like two or three weeks ago, if Rodgers just has one or two more hot weeks and he has a very um, potential MVP type moment coming up against the San Francisco 49ers this week, if he wins that sort of a game in a prime time has a good game and then a week later, he's right back up there shooting to the top. It seems like these MVP favorites are flip-flopping every week. I think it's a two-horse race as of right now through 10 weeks between Russell Wilson and And Lamar Jackson, I personally think it's uh, Russell Wilson has been the more deserving player just on a consistency basis. But if you're telling me who, if the season ended today, I think the media would vote to be the winner just based around all the positivity around Lamar Jackson and just overwhelming media attention to him compared to Russell Wilson. I think it has to be Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's something we've never seen since probably Mike Vick. And even then he's been a little bit more dynamic in my opinion. So yeah, I think he probably wins it. I don't think he's, he's definitely deserving of it. I don't think he's more deserving than Russell Wilson through 10 weeks though, but just so much media attention going to him. And that really goes a long way you could look at it too
0: like I don't think that Aaron Rodgers even he would have to go like absolutely insane at the end of the season to win MVP but where this is a narrative driven award a narrative could really set up well for him if Wilson or Jackson take a few blows along the way and their team ends up losing games like it's very possible that the Packers run the table here if they can beat the Niners this week on Sunday Night Football it just got flexed in which is fantastic for us viewers but if you go into San Francisco and win then all of a sudden it's at home again against the Redskins At home against the Bears, at the Vikings, at the Lions, and there's a game at the Giants in there as well. So you beat the Niners, and then you come out against the Giants and Redskins, two games where you should put up like MVP type stats because those teams are horrible. Then all of a sudden, if Wilson or Jackson ends up losing a game, this is just me trying to talk myself into potentially different scenarios. I don't necessarily think this is gonna happen, but if I construct the narrative around Aaron Rodgers' MVP, he can get there because you have the Niners game, that's a big NFC win that propels you to the top of the NFC, or at least close to it then you get the Giants and Redskins stat padding type games which is definitely on the table Bears Vikings Lions three division games to end the year you'll win the division you can potentially knock the Vikings out of it the Lions and Bears just aren't very good right now that I do see a path where he might be undeserving but could still win potentially
1: yeah I agree and then we still don't even know what Matt Stafford's status is like for that final game in Detroit if he's out I mean the Packers have just ran so hot with facing just terrible quarterbacks Cam Newton obviously goes down to get Kyle Allen that week Um, been down, but you don't get no Patrick Mahomes when they play the Chiefs, so they're really um, just running really good in terms of their schedule and the quarterbacks they're facing. So, yeah, I think it's a real situation where if they win this week, I think their worst probably situation is 13 and three as a team uh, if they get by the 49ers and their only potential loss to the Vikings on the road, where they've uh, pretty handily um, played them over the past couple of seasons. So, yeah, it's a spot that I think this is a a really interesting spot. For Aaron Rodgers because he wasn't doing anything all season long and then he has two hot weeks that were propelled by really short passes to running backs and he shot up to the favorite of the MVP as of what two weeks ago so I think it could flip on its head if like you said a loss comes for Baltimore a loss comes maybe Tyler Lockett goes out or he's going to miss more time and that hurts Russell Wilson there's a path for Aaron Rodgers to at least uh, be on a 14 and 2 team potentially as the the quarterback of that with good stats and an MVP candidate for sure
0: yeah it would probably hinge on them having the best record in the NFC I would think
1: Yeah, I agree with that, which they
0: definitely could do if they beat San Francisco this week.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the only potential loss is in Minnesota, and it really at that point potentially could be for the division. So uh, I would put my money on Aaron Rodgers even on the road in that sort of a game against Kirk Cousins in a big time, a potential primetime game. Right now it is. It's an 815 game on the 23rd. I don't know if that's a Sunday or Monday night game.
0: Uh, That is the the Niners game is the Sunday night game this week.
1: No, uh, yeah, there's, there's a, the Vikings in week 16, they play at night on the road and it's just a perfect spot in prime time for Kirk Cousins to maybe blow up again.
0: What was the, what was the date? The 23rd?
1: Yeah, that might be one of those weird Saturday games, but yeah, yeah the 23rd.
0: That is Monday night football in week 16. There you go. All right. Perfect. Yeah, Monday night football. Mm-hmm running back injuries and pickups going into the week for your fantasy rosters uh the guys most injured marlon mack is the big one he suffered a hand fracture he's undergoing surgeries not going to play on thursday he may even miss multiple weeks after that jordan howard didn't play with a stinger in his shoulder he's questionable for week 12 james connor and well, james Conner got hurt again uh, expect him to be out sometime i would think we'll get reports on him later in the week devonta freeman no word yet if he's going to be back this week jordan wilkins which is really kind a kind of key to the waiver wire pickups this week dealt with an angle injury, did not play against Jacksonville. Thus, Jonathan Williams was unleashed on the world once Marlon Mack went down. But that's going to be the key scenario to pay attention to, and we may not know the answer to uh, as we go into waivers this week. Benny Snell, Chase Edmonds, Chris Thompson all miss the week as well. Mark Walton still suspended until week 14. So the actual pickups I have Jonathan Williams at number one right now because. It all Again, it depends on Jordan Wilkins. I actually have Jordan Wilkins at number eight, just in case he plays. If Jordan Wilkins is active Thursday night against Houston, which is not the greatest of all matchups, mind you, but it does seem to be a situation where Jonathan Williams would start over Naheem, Naheem Hines as the primary Ball handler, at least the guy getting the carries between the tackles. Now, that could completely flip if Houston jumps out to a lead in that game. All of a sudden, Naheem Hines is on the field. Jonathan Williams is pretty useless. But Marlon Mack could miss some time here. Would you rather spend up on your fab and take Jonathan Williams or spend far less fab on Naheem Hines, who you know is probably going to have, I'd say, floor. 30% of the snaps against Houston with the potential of like 60%. If they fall behind early, then he's just catching a lot of passes or spend like zero on Jordan Wilkins. Just hope that he's healthy. And all of a sudden he's the starter.
1: Yeah, I think I think honestly out of all those, I'll just take Jordan Wilkins for zero. If he's healthy, and yeah, we're gonna have like the the phantom injury reporting for today, Monday for this Thursday night game, and then you have your waivers coming. So we probably don't know. But yeah, Jonathan Williams, if he does play and you're gonna have Jordan Williams active, I think they're just gonna be splitting dead even the touches. I think Neem Himes at a minimum will see, even if the game is in a very run-heavy situation, 25, 30 percent of the snaps. And then it's just really difficult to see Jonathan Williams being worth any sort of fab dollars or any sort of high. A priority in waivers. So the best you get out of Jonathan Williams is as a a, a 60% snap guy if Jordan Wilkins or, or Jordan Wilkins is out this Thursday, 60, 70% snap guy with only Hines behind him on Thursday night on a short week and a difficult matchup. So I just don't think the the amount of money you have to spend on this guy is worth it. He also had 41% of his production on one carry and he had 70% of his production on three of his carries. So a couple of big plays, 148 yard run. I think he's fine. I think he looked good. He's kind of been a journeyman back, but it's a situation where I don't think he's actually worth any potential hype that comes his way or at least not a, a high priority on waivers.
0: Yo, here's something that's very, very interesting, and I probably should have done this before. I, I may have to adjust the waiver wire ranks here. Indianapolis, even if Marlon Mack misses a bunch of time, the next four weeks get four of the top eight run defenses in football at the Texans, at home against the Titans, at the Bucks, at the Saints. That's not good. Maybe Hines no. is the pickup. <laughs>
1: You know, that's not good at all now. Yeah. Hearing that. So yeah, hearing that I, I would probably want Heinz more. And it, it, it depends. I think you can probably get, I think there'll be some hype around Heinz. He played more snaps the past couple of weeks due to game flow. So you might actually have to pay a little bit more for him, but nothing and nowhere near as much as the guy who just ran for a hundred yards and uh, Jonathan Williams on limited touches with Mac out. So yeah, I think, For this Thursday, if Wilkins is healthy, which I don't think on a short week he'll be fully there, I'd probably favor him to see like around 50% of the touches in a game that stays a little bit more neutral. But long term, now that you throw that schedule out there, Hines seems like if you want any of these guys to be the guy, I don't know how much upside there is in general out of this three-headed backfield now.
0: Well, this is sort of the thing. Despite the fact that there are guys to pick up if you need a plug-and-play off the waiver wire, hopefully you just have better running backs than this and it doesn't come down to it because none of these guys are projectable in any sort of way. So I'll re-up on the running back rankings. I had Jonathan Williams at number one. I've moved him down now. So I have Bo Scarborough at number one. We'll see how this turns out. Trey Edmonds at number two. Uh, That's if James Conner is hurt and Jalen Samuels is already owned above the threshold. So he would be the next guy. Geis Balazs. Sorry, Geis? No. Scarborough, Edmonds, Bellage Hines, Geis, Williams, McKissick, Jordan Wilkins, Adrian Peterson, Raheem Mostert would be how I'd do it. Like, Bellage is playing all these snaps, he's just no good. What do you make of Bo Scarborough? Like, we had no real inkling that this was going to be the split that he would end up in. We know all season long that this, even, except for the few weeks... That Carry On Johnson was getting like 80, 81% of the snap share in the backfield. This Detroit thing has been so up in the air, even looking back at yesterday. Scarborough 49%, Ty Johnson 29%, JD McKissick 23%, Baden at 3%. Like, this is going to be like Patriots light, except not good at the same time. So I don't know how this ends up shaking out. Maybe Bo Scarborough's good. Maybe he's bad. I just don't know, unless I was in dire straits, if I'd pick up any of these guys.
1: Yeah, I don't think I want either you touched on it the 23 plus percent snaps uh, for three running backs this past week. We'll see what happens moving forward. It seems like maybe Ty Johnson gets a little healthier and sees more work. Scarborough would have had a second touchdown got uh, shoestring tackled kind of at the one yard line so could have had an even better day. Um, But yeah, he relied on a touchdown in that game wasn't really effective, although he led the team in snaps and carries with 14 for 55 yards in the score. It's not really a spot that I feel the need to get to him in a spot where I I thought it was just really carry on Johnson, not really being good behind this offensive line, but whoever they throw out there outside of the receiving game role for JD McKissick, nobody's done well. So maybe it's just an overall scheme thing, which is kind of head scratching when Matt Patricia wanted to be a run heavy team. So Scarborough, he's always a guy that I like to, if you can add him and not spend a high waiver or you're, you're later in your team's waivers this week or your league's waivers and you can get to him, use him as sort of a a trade bait package type of a deal. Uh, You can do that, but he's not a guy that I, I feel confidence in spending like number one or even a top five waiver on.
0: I would think that Trey Edmonds would be the pickup if we knew that James Connor was going to miss this week. Samuel should have a pretty decent game against the Bengals because the Bengals give up all of the fantasy points to all of the running backs. But if Connor sits, Edmonds actually did play the most snaps Thursday night uh, after James Connor ended up going out overall. It was Edmonds at 47% Samuels at 34 Connor at 18. Then TBJ, At 1%, so just kind of cross him out. Then maybe Benny Snell comes back, and that could throw a wrench into the situation. But if Connor and Snell are both inactive against Cincinnati this week, like Edmonds could be in line for 18 to 20 carries.
1: Yeah, he's the guy who, if you're going to plug and play this week, he stands out because also they're dealing with injuries to Deontay Johnson and Juju in the concussion protocol. So a team that already wants to run the ball is just going to be forced now to run the ball because you're running out there. Johnny Holton, you're running out there, James Washington, and then really nothing behind that. Ryan Switzer, maybe. So it's going to be a run-heavy approach no matter what, even more so emphasized this week for the Steelers due to some of these concussion issues for their wide receivers. And yeah, another fun fantasy fact for you, Trey Edmonds has an interception this year. So if you're somebody who has the, the very rare defensive scoring, plus your running back, there's upside there as well.
0: If you... We're just, like, I watch a lot of that uh, Jets-Washington game. I wouldn't recommend anyone go back and do that because it was not fun. But Wendell Smallwood played the most snaps at 46%. Geis played 29%. Adrian Peterson played 25%. It's not a great schedule coming up, but I was rather impressed with how Geis looked. He looked kind of explosive, and I think you're going to see this number grow and grow and grow. The issue is, I don't know how, what the actual ceiling is on the amount of touches that he's going to get into the game. But I think on pure talent alone, and I, I wouldn't be alone in this, looking at the names on this list, he would be the guy. I just don't know what the role is going to be. I can see him usurping Adrian Peterson and extending his role a little bit, but if they're constantly playing behind, it does seem like that Wendell Smallwood-Chris Thompson role is going to play at least 40% of the snaps every single week. And if you're still divvying it up with Adrian Peterson, even if you have the larger set share, it's now a larger share of 60% of the snaps, not 100% of the snaps in a bad offense, which would make you kind of useless.
1: Yeah, and, and like you said, it's just going to be a smaller overall workload of that share because this past week there was like 16 carries to go around between the two of them. And that's probably what you get normally, so flip it the other way. Maybe Geis gets 10 carries in a game, relies a little bit here and there on a catch or two, but he took a 35-yard uh, pass, short pass to the house, and he did look explosive. He got to the side pretty quick, beat defenders there, and just ran right by everybody as if some defenders were in slow motion. So at least moving forward for the team and the Redskins, that's good for them. Uh, but yeah, it's just three running backs. It doesn't seem like Chris Thompson has been practicing or will come back anytime soon. But, I mean, if he he is the upgrade to Wendell Smallwood in that role, so that doesn't help either. There's just no real positive coming for um, a, a guys to break free, like you said. I think in most weeks you're really happy if you get like 12 touches out of the guy. Now there is always the upside that they're just completely out of it and maybe Adrian Peterson just disappears and you start to get 15 to 16 to 17 touches out of guys a catch here and there, uh, even though he's on a, a bad team. At least it's, it's something worth noting on the waivers this week is probably a top three or four added running back. Yeah, if
0: you didn't need to play him this week, he'd be a fun pickup only because he goes Lions, Panthers, Packers, Eagles, Giants. That's four of five good matchups to end the season. And if they do make a concerted effort, be like, "Hey, we're playing Haskins at quarterback. We want him thrown to McLaurin, and we want to see what we have with Guys Peterson. You played well this year. You earned yourself another contract somewhere else. But we don't need you because we're going one in fifteen kind of thing. That if Guys could propel himself up to the fifteen to potentially twenty touches per game, we can see how he does in the receiving game. He does actually have have some exploitable matchups coming up
1: yeah i agree and that one to start the fantasy playoffs against the packers is the one that stands out the most to me so yeah this is a spot where if you really don't have to spend much fad dollars or you don't have to spend a priority at all and he's just on your waivers to go ahead and add him a couple weeks back i was sitting here saying that peterson so i feel like i'm just kind of going against myself peterson would be the guy i would want long term but just seeing the way that smallwood has stayed into this offense you just need explosion out of these guys and it was nice to see that i was kind of skeptical on the health of Darius guys two weeks ago when he was kind of coming off the ir but seeing him on his touchdown when i encourage people to go see it he got to the edge faster than anybody out there and he probably should as a running back but there's a lot of questions around that knee and three surgeries on his knees so it was good to see that there is some upside at least in him on a per touch basis Wide receiver injuries from
0: Week 11. Emmanuel Sanders, Auden Tate, Robert Woods, who obviously didn't play. Not necessarily an injury, but he didn't play due to a personal matter. He's questionable for Week 12. Sanders with the ribs. Tate got carted off of the field, Uh, so no word yet on his Week 12 status. Philip Dorsett suffered a concussion, uh, as did Juju Smith-Schuster, as did Deontay Johnson. It does look like Tyler Lockett, despite the fact that going into the bye week, that it, it looked like he was, you know, had major leg surgery coming up he could play this week so he's not completely off the injury report at all but like It may not be as long-term as people think. Before the bye, Corey Davis had a hip injury. He missed the week. He could return this week in Week 12. T.Y. Hilton may come back Thursday night, probably not, same as Paris Campbell. Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson both didn't play for the Philadelphia Eagles. No Brennan Cooks. Adam Thielen with his hamstring problem goes into the bye week. He should be good coming out of it. Sterling Shepard returned to practice on Monday, but he has not cleared concussion protocol yet. His availability will hinge the on passing the concussion protocol and he would directly impact the upside of Darius Slayton on the Giants moving forward playing on the outside and then AJ Green do you think we see AJ Green again because I'm starting to think we don't
1: no, I don't at all. Just just the way seeing these Bengals play these games. I mean, they, one, they throw Ryan Finley out there when it should be Andy Dalton at this point. He's a much better quarterback, and that's been proven now for two weeks and even in the preseason. But also, they're just handing the ball off when they're trailing, and they just want to get out of there as quickly as possible, shorten the game. And if you're A.J. Green, I don't know why the heck you would even want to come back. I'm very skeptical that he's, uh, I don't want to say uh, question the man's health, but uh, fully injured if this was a playoff push he would probably be out there if I had a guess so it just seems like a spot where I have a contract situation coming up why am I going to go try and re-injure my uh, bum ankle again so I don't think you see him yet again this year
0: uh, week 12 waiver wire pickups at wide receiver no changes at the top Devonte Parker remains like unowned for whatever reason I don't quite understand but he's been great
1: yeah, he, he's been good. And I want to see, I was trying to look today. They weren't out yet. Some of the matchup data uh, from this past weekend yesterday. I want to see what exactly how often Tredavious White was on him because White's been shut down against everybody he's gone up against. Uh, and I would imagine there was a good amount of Tradavius White on Devontae Parker for that game. So uh, there's a good chance that Devontae Parker was the first receiver this year to really have success against White. But we'll see probably by uh, later today, it'll be out.
0: So Devontae Parker, number one, Darius Slayton, number two, and that will hinge on the Sterling Shepard injury. I want to see if he passes concussion protocol. Until he does, I'm going to assume he's not back. Will Fuller is going to be a game-time decision for Thursday night after missing Week 11 with the hamstring injury, but it's a nice matchup against Indianapolis. Debo, Josh Gordon, Randall Cobb, James Washington, Zach Pascal, Cole Beasley, and A.J. Brown are the top ten. Debo's interesting against Green Bay. It's a pretty nice matchup, but I think a lot of it actually has to do with what if Kittle and Sanders are back, then how good does Debo look? I'm not convinced that it's all that great.
1: Yeah, I wasn't convinced this past weekend either. I know Kittle was out and Sanders was banged up, but they were 12 and a half point favorites and then they just end up getting behind by multiple scores early. So it's a, another 40 plus temp game for Jimmy G and that just props up all the receivers and you're de facto number one with an injured Sanders. So another week to get healthier for Sanders. He should be good to go. We'll see if Kittle, and this is the biggest matchup of the year, probably even more so than the Seahawks game. This is for, I would imagine, the number one overall seed at the end of the, the season here. between the Packers and the 49ers at home in a primetime game, I think Kittle will probably suit up, which, yeah, it makes Debo then probably at best the third option in this receiving core. You'll get probably Matt Breida back, another body to catch passes. So it's not a a high as a priority, it probably seems. I think he'll probably be – overspent and kind of over-owned and overhyped in some fab dollars and even number one priorities, but he's been in two very odd spots where they've been favorites, and then Jimmy G's forced to throw 45 times. More times than not, Jimmy G will throw 30, 32 times, and he'll be the third option, so it's just back to probably a five or six target game, as you saw for the first eight weeks of the season for Debo moving forward and where it matters most in the fantasy playoffs. The more interesting pickup may actually be
0: James Washington, because if you are in a world where there's no James Conner, no Benny Snell, no Juju, and no Deontay Thompson, you're gonna have a lot of market share against the Bengals, which is always a good thing.
1: Yep, yeah. I have I have James Washington right now as number four, and I'm just projecting one of those guys between Deontay Johnson and Juju to be out. We've already seen the connection on just about half the snaps with his former quarterback Mason Rudolph coming through. He had a career game two weeks ago. Uh, With Deontay Johnson and Juju out there, if I had to guess one of them misses, if both are in the concussion protocol. So that's just going to help Juju this week. And we'll see how this impacts the long term uh, for both of these guys. If anything gets complicated here, you could potentially have James Washington being a a viable option going into the fantasy playoffs. I have him behind guys like Devontae Parker, Fuller, and Slayton, like you mentioned. Uh, week
0: 12 waiver wire pickups at tight end there's a bunch of injuries to consider right now at the position and just making it super duper duper thin but we have David Njoku who is eligible to return this week off injured reserve with a wrist injury no word yet on if he will or not that's something to keep an eye on Josh Hill suffered a concussion yesterday so he may not play this week for the Saints Josh Oliver broke some bones in his back Uh, his season might be over for the Jags George Kittle obviously didn't play Evan Ingram didn't play Uh, I think he is shed his walking boot right now, but I don't know if he will return or not this week for the Giants. Rhett Ellison was also in concussion protocol before the bye week, and we've seen Sterling Shepard miss all these weeks for the Giants. Rhett Ellison could continue to be out as well. Austin Hooper didn't play. Ed Dixon could return for the Seahawks, which would throw a wrench into the Jacob Hollister love. Trey Burton was placed on IR. Delaney Walker could come back this week for the Titans, and Vernon Davis has just been out forever with this concussion problem. I doubt we're going to end up seeing him again for the rest of the year but i guess the big one is once chris herndon went down for the season uh, with his hamstring problem whatever new injuries that he suffered ryan griffin's kind of like the guy for the jets they have a very good schedule he could be a top tight end top 10 tight end the rest of the year he's my number one guy at tight end
1: Yeah, he's my number one as well. Caught five balls for 109 yards and a touchdown on five targets. Uh, There's not really been much volume. He's had two of his biggest games. The other game, he caught two touchdowns uh, on four targets. So not a lot of volume, just kind of getting lucky with some of these bigger plays and touchdowns. But that being said, if he's on your waiver wire, he's going to be a number one um, tight end, uh, probably top 12 to finish out the year if you're going to get no Herndon, which it seems like. And also he's just, even though he's only seeing four or five targets, those are high upside targets, especially around the red zone where there's just nothing on your waivers at tight end. So he's the number one guy I have right now. I have Hollister highlighted with the, the caveat of Ed Dixon next to him. Still like the way they're using him. I have D- uh, David Njoku. He's eligible to return. We'll see if he practices. You touched on that. I think that's a big one um, to, to monitor moving forward. And then if Noah Font, 10 targets last week. I would say that uh, people, uh, you can you can see it as maybe it's a Brandon Allen thing with Noah Font and this target share and the snaps he's playing, but I'd also keep an eye closely on Jeff Hureman, who's a backup tight end, usually plays about 50% of the snaps, but he's also been out there in the exact same amount of time since Brandon Allen took over, uh, so that could be swaying it, and I imagine that is a little bit. So I, I do like Font, but I think it's a little bit inflated. If you get Hureman back, you probably don't get as many snaps out of him.
0: You may or may not. The loss of Emmanuel Sanders is directly correlated with a larger market share for Noah Font as well, just running those seam row for the Broncos and them actually having a guy that can get him the ball that really does help and he's not dropping every single pass that comes his way either which is a huge boost to his actual fantasy value so Griffin, Fant, Fells, I still have Dwelly above Hollister and the off chance that Kittle doesn't play or he's ruled out again then all of a sudden I want to play Dwelly they're using him as the red zone target in San Francisco
1: yeah, exactly. I agree with that too. Uh, he's a he's a guy who's getting a ton of red zone targets and he's running the same routes that Kittle was running. So maybe you get another week or two out of him here. Uh, so I think he's definitely deserving of a, a waiver pickup if it's maybe just your waivers have passed and he's on the wire still. Um, he's a nice guy to add there. I guess, I guess we'll see tomorrow what happens here. But uh, in a 20-team league, I guess I'll share that. Yesterday, after the news that Rob Gronkowski is going to make a big announcement on Tuesday, in my 20-man league, I added Rob Gronkowski. So is there any deep love interest for Rob Gronkowski?
0: I guess so. And maybe you're not going to know what it is, but let's say Gronk does come back, which I don't think that he's going to do. It's probably like some new, like CBD oil company that he's starting, or he's getting his own talk show every single day. I have no idea what it is, but let's say that he says he's coming back. Do you think that we even see him before the playoffs?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's a situation where they might even just save him for the, the real playoffs, not the fantasy playoffs at all. Uh, and there's also a, a case to be made that he might just be more of a, a blocker for this team that is not relying on their passing game at all. So it's really just a question mark around. And yeah, if, if this was a 12 or 10 man league, I'm probably not picking him up. It was a 20 man league. So it was worthwhile at that point with the question marks around it. Um, but Yeah, I I don't know. I think that's a good question. I think he wouldn't play for at least a week or two, and that's when the fantasy playoffs start, so it's kind of throwing it up there. If you have the room for it in a deeper league, it might be worth it. I think that at the end of the day, it's probably going to be something like he's going to be a tight ends coach or something for the Patriots. Quarterbacks, uh, you might have some struggles
0: at quarterback this week. Mahomes is on by, Rivers is on by, Cousins is on by, and... Kyler Murray is on by. I mean, there's a chance that all four of those players, probably not Rivers, but three of them at least, were being started in your league, or at least they should have been. They're all top 10 quarterbacks. And then you got some injuries to deal with, too. Stafford's not going to be back. Deshaun Watson's dealing with a bum ankle. We'll see what his status is. Bruce Arian says that Jameis Winston's ankle is okay and that he'll play this week. I guess that's good news. And Mitch Trubisky has a hip Problem, not a I suck problem, but a hip problem. And we're probably going to see Chase Daniel this week for the Bears. But I do think that there is an answer on the waiver wire. Two of them, if you want to pick them up and you got some guts. I turned to my guy, Jeff Driscoll, last week against Dallas, and he's great. And now he gets Washington this week. Like 50 yards rushing from him, I wouldn't expect that every single week, but he's going to run the ball when everything else breaks down. And this is a much better matchup for him. I like Jeff Driscoll. I like Derek Carr at the Jets and even listen, I know I give low energy Sam Darnold a lot of heat. Uh he's not a terrible option against Oakland, but you could have Brissett, Foles, Kyle Allen, Baker Mayfield, Darnold, but Driscoll and Carr really stand out to me as the top two options here.
1: Yeah, I have Driscoll one, two carr, and then three Sam Darnold right now for me. Yeah, Driscoll last week, 27 fantasy points, at least DraftKings scoring wise, which should correlate to most leagues. Uh, yeah, 27 fantasy points was uh, was a really nice performance, and you touched on it. He has the mobility on the ground. He kept a lot of drives alive, um, and especially the one where he scores a touchdown, ends up scoring on that, had a nice run on that drive. So he's a guy who, if you get any mobility out of a quarterback, it's upside against a weak pass rush in Washington. Um, so it's a good matchup there. I might, as the week goes on, prefer Darnold a little bit more just for stability, but those three guys on a week where a lot of top quarterbacks are out make some sense. Yeah, I just Darnold beat up on Washington. Let's not go crazy, all right, on the Sam
0: Darnold love? He still threw an awful interception. They generated no pressure. If Oakland just generates a modicum of pressure, all of a sudden Sam Darnold's a completely different quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think though, uh, like the, the thoughts behind Oakland getting pressure is, is the big question mark there. If they will get some pressure and just still a weak secondary there in all departments. But I think that's fair. I think he's still probably a top three option here. And yeah, the, the interception by Sam Darnold, um, I haven't written. I don't think I've ever seen a, a worse, uh interception throw I think that's the third time I've said that about Sam Darnold this season alone
0: yeah it's it's, I guess the one good thing is like I thought that Jameis was really going to give us a gift because when Jameis throws some picks especially at the end of the game it's like oh no it's fourth down Uh, Jameis isn't going to get the ball back to score more fantasy points but then he threw a pick six and just got the ball back so you know it's minus one but then he gets the ball back to score more fantasy points I need Sam Darnold to do more of that I guess
1: yeah I agree I, I think the the other thing with in the Jameis game I think one of his picks was just flat-footed directly to a defender with nobody around in pick six. Um, but, yeah, I agree is that you have the upside at least from getting a ball back from a guy uh, like Jameis Winston with the weapons that he has is, is a lot better than the Darnold. But if we get that out of him and we get maybe some more Robbie Anderson separation in this matchup, uh, it could be a nice spot for him.
0: Uh, One of my props from yesterday, three and two day for props. The big one was the Driscoll over 18 and a half or 17 and a half rushing yards. He ends up with 50. So that was a nice one. Uh, The big bet of the day, but Demarius Thomas has hit his receiving over in six to seven games now.
1: Yeah. Demarius Thomas has been kind of the guy who's been hidden in this offense, but he always ends up getting the best matchup because uh, you have the priority of Robbie Anderson on the outside for most teams. We've seen Demarius Thomas against the Giants, got uh, Deandre Baker, who's, so far still the worst cornerback in the league. He always just gets the worst cornerback on a team. And when he's going to be in a good matchup, it gets even better because it's one of the worst cornerbacks in the league then. So yeah, I think that Demarius Thomas is a guy who a couple of weeks now in some of my content I've said is a, a sneaky type of a, a start and like a very, very low end tournament play if he gets in the end zone. So he's a guy who continues to be undervalued and he still is not getting separation. But when you're facing guys who are barely in the NFL at the cornerback position in some of these matchups, you're probably going to win if you're Demarius Thomas more times than not.
0: Let's shift over to the defensive streams for the week. And number one in my rankings right now is going to be Denver at Buffalo. And it all really depends on if the Broncos can jump out to a lead here. Because all of a sudden, when you get Josh Allen playing from behind, that could be turnover city. And the defense has just started to look very, very strong over the past few weeks. And they're widely available. The Falcons at home against the Bucks with renewed pressure to get on the quarterback. Whoa. Just sounds fantastic against Jameis Winston. Lions at Washington. Browns at home against Miami. Giants at Chicago. No offensive line. Trubisky not starting would hurt this a little bit. The Giants still have been able to ratchet up some pressure. Then both Thursday night teams, Texans and Colts. Thursday night is just weird uh, that just randomly taking a defense from one of those games could turn out really well. Like the Browns last week against the Steelers. Uh, So I always usually lean the home team there, but both those defenses are all right. But I think that Denver, Atlanta are the two you want to focus on.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and Atlanta moving forward for next week in DraftKings, I haven't looked at the price, but I imagine they're still relatively cheaply priced. And yeah, if they're going to get more pressure and face a a interception prone for more last week in Jameis Winston, uh, quarterback with pick six upside as always. Yeah, I like that spot for Atlanta. I'll, I'll echo for this fantasy playoff type of stuff for streamers is that, uh, Pittsburgh, again, if they're somehow available this week against Cincinnati is fantastic. And always look at the teams that are dropping some of the defenses that are on by. Last week, we already talked about the Packers. They were on by last week. I imagine a lot of people just, you know, need a roster two defenses, drop the Packers defense. But moving forward, they're one of the better defenses uh, to own. Maybe not this upcoming week against the 49ers, albeit not a terrible spot with their pass rush, uh, but into the fantasy playoffs. It's a nice spot to have. Let's switch over to Monday Night Football. The Chiefs
0: at the Chargers in Mexico City at high elevation. This spread opened at 3.5. It is now plus 5.0 for the home team, Chargers. The Chiefs are five-point favorites uh, on a neutral site field, which would make them probably around eight-point favorites on... Although the Chargers generally play on neutral site fields, even at their home games, so maybe it's not that big of a difference. But at elevation, the over-under has actually dropped since the beginning of the show over the past hour, from 53 to 52.5. The money flooding in on the Chiefs. However, Phillip Rivers, as a a three-and-a-half point or more underdog in his career i gotta pull up feinberg here you know if there's a philip rivers stat to be had feinberg has it let's see what was it he is philip rivers 27 and 12 against the spread while getting more than three and a half points in his career do you like the chargers here because i picked the chiefs on the pick show but i think that at five this just becomes a no bet for me
1: yeah, I actually like the chargers and the points, and I I'm close to wanting to put a money line better than the Chargers here. More of a neutral, obviously it is a neutral field situation, but I I will I'll actually not even a lean, I'll take the Chargers plus five, and I even lean to try and get to the money line for a little bit more of the uh the money plus I imagine like plus two fifty is probably what the money line looks like I was seeing earlier.
0: Yeah, plus I, I believe it's now yeah, plus two. It's plus two fifty or plus two sixty. Uh, props from the game. Did anything is there any one player in particular that you think you want to target here? Like We don't know what the status of LaShawn McCoy is going to be yet, but Damian Williams had not not traveled with the team because of a personal matter. He's down there now, so he is going to start for the Chiefs. Just looking at some of his numbers, like 22.5 receiving yards I think is a very interesting number for him. Um, Rushing attempts for him, they won't even put him on the board because they don't know if Shady's going to play or not because you can't price that too high or too low. I guess in the receiving game you can do that. I kind of do like the 22.5 receiving yards, though.
1: Yeah, I like that. It all depends on McCoy here. If he's out, you saw a 24-3 touch split with him, uh, Damian Williams, and Daryl Williams uh, the last time that McCoy was a healthy scratch to try and, they said, preserve him for the postseason. So there's a good chance you might not get him once again, although this is a pretty important game, so he should suit up. I saw in one spot a 50 and a half rushing yards for Damian Williams and then it came off, so if that's something that they're going to give us with with or without, uh, well, if it's without uh, LaShawn McCoy and that stays the same, then I would definitely take that. So that's an interesting spot. I'm seeing here on one of the books that I'm looking at, you have Keenan Allen at 68.5 receiving yards and and 5.5 receptions. I actually like the over. I lean the over on both of those, but I like the 5.5 receptions as an over. He's going to probably get a backup cornerback here with Kendall Fuller being injured, and he's going to be a game time decision. So if you get that for Keenan Allen, in a really nice spot against the Chiefs in the middle of the field where they've been susceptible. He'll get Rashawn Fenton, who's filling in at slot cornerback. I'll just take my chances there with a guy who has now been three weeks removed from this injury, and and it's kind of been underreported on. He was kind of hobbled for two or three weeks there with an injury. Seems to be fully healthy now against a backup cornerback. I think this is just in general fantasy, if it's fantasy or real life for betting. I think this is a huge Keenan Allen spot, so I like both of those props the over for him. How about
0: four and a half total sacks in this game?
1: from both sides total yeah yeah i think i like that one i mean you still have injuries on both offensive lines i don't think i think okun is still a questionable slash probably doubtful for this game um so yeah i like both i like both of that both offensive lines are a little bit hollowed up the defensive line for the chiefs is still banged up but they got chris jones back a few weeks ago so that definitely helps with generating pressure uh and you still have Bosa, who's been dominating the last two or three games for the Chargers. So, yeah, four and a half total sacks. That sounds pretty good in a game where I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of pass attempts, at least somewhere around the 70 range in pass attempts.
0: Well, as it pertains to DraftKings, then it sounds like you want to build around Keenan Allen. He's $8,400 overall. You juice him up to be a captain, it pushes him over $10,000. But is that the route you think you'll go?
1: yeah right now i really like keenan allen and the price tag is just really nice he's he's been very mediocre to bad but again there was two or three weeks where he was playing limited and even if he wasn't playing limited snaps he was just dealing with an injury he came out a couple of times but he said now since the bye week that he feels healthy so this is a spot where i just like the overall matchup and the skill set for a a price down wide receiver and keenan allen it's interesting the entire offense really all the weapons for the chargers on this slate you have 8800 philip rivers 86 gordon 84 keenan allen and then 8200 henry so they're all priced right next to each other. Other. I kind of like Keenan Allen over all those guys at similar price ranges.
0: Uh, if there's a cheap player that you would consider going with in your showdown contest, who do you think it would be?
1: Yeah, so I'll go all the way to the bottom. Two hundred dollars, Andre Patton. I, I should also point out five hundred thousand uh, dollars on the showdown slate for DraftKings tonight. I don't know if it's a promotion because of this um, this situation or the, the stadium that they're going to be playing in, but interesting. Uh, it's eleven dollar so Maybe that helps a little bit. A little more expensive, but. Yeah, so $200 Andre Patton, am I convicted by it? No, but I think he'll still be low-owned. He's averaging 23.3 routes run per week, over the last month, the only downside is he has zero catches. So he's seeing like a target a week. But if you're out there for 24 routes run, and he's always like the fourth or fifth option in this offense, don't get me wrong, he's he's $200. But he's nowhere near the normal $200 player on a showdown slate because he's actually running routes. You're betting on a touchdown here. But if you're trying to win $500,000 by yourself, uh, this seems like a, a route where 23 routes run will lead to a touchdown more times than the, the five routes run you're going to get out, uh, out of these other $200 players. So there's not a lot of really cheap players that stand out to me. Um, And I'd rather just punt all the way down and get some shares of patent.
0: So it sounds to me like you're willing to do a Chargers four-player, Chiefs two-player build. And I guess if you're playing fewer lineups in one of these giant showdown contests, that's probably the way to play it, as I figure that'll be the more contrarian avenue.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I do like that route, and you have a lot of priced-up guys for the Chiefs. I mean, you have Mahomes, the highest price at $12,000, and you have Tyreek and Kelsey. The main options here are all priced up. I want a lot of Tyreek on this slate. Um, A lot of people might think he's going to be guarded by Casey Hayward. First of all, Tyreek Hill doesn't get shadowed because you you really just can't shadow him, but Hayward is, is probably not going to be on Tyreek for most of this game. I imagine you get Casey Hayward lining up against the Marcus Robinson for the majority of this one. Um, so that just helps Tyree kill even more. Even if it was Hayward for 40, 50% of the game, it doesn't worry me all that much with Hill's skill set. So I really like Keenan Allen. I like Tyree kill don't have much confidence behind Andre, Andre Patton, but if he's going to see two or three targets at $200, you just have to pray that he finds the end zone.
0: Sal Vetri, You can follow him on Twitter at Sal DFS. Let everyone know what you got going on this week and where to find your content.
1: Yep, you can find my content on my YouTube channel, it's just my name, Salvetri. You can subscribe there, as well as a, a podcast that I just stripped that audio and it's the same type of content if it's easier for you on a podcast, the Salvetri Show. NBA breakdowns every single morning on the NBA slates. And then NFL content comes out five to six days a week. There's a Monday night football showdown for today.
0: All right. You can follow me at the PME, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you want to get to a draw for $20 DK dollars. What you do smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me your favorite pickup defense for the fantasy playoffs weeks 14 through 16. You'll be in that draw for 20 DK bucks. As you will, if you subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show. It takes like 30 seconds to do, and you can win 20 DK bucks. I suggest you go do that right now. Other than that, you can find all of the snaps, all of the entries, all of my updated pickups as these things change throughout the week, or at least until waivers happen, up on DKPlaybook.com, and you can find the links in the description of this video and podcast. The Pat Mayo Experience open on DraftKings, $15 to play. The link will appear in the description once it is available. It hasn't been available yet, but I will add it in. And 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, if you got trade questions for your trade deadline, I'll be live with Jake Sealy on the DraftKings YouTube channel starting then. And we'll be taking your questions towards the end of the show if you got them. So tune in then. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience.